you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 50. Genesis, the 50th chapter. I would like to begin reading with verse number 14. It's good to have guests with us tonight. Thank you for coming. Midweek service. I know Houston, uh, it's a difficult place to get around in any time, but midweek, I'm glad that you have made it. I hope your trip will be worthwhile tonight. I believe if you'll open your heart to the Word of God, it will be. Amen. I've never gone home disappointed yet when I've come to church. Genesis chapter 50, verse number 14. Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph, will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which he did, we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive. You know what? That was a lie. Joseph's dad did not tell him that. But that's what they were hoping, <laughs> is that Joseph would forgive. Amen. It's a terrible thing to carry around guilt in your life and to need forgiveness and be afraid it's not going to be given. And so I pray thee now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And I love Joseph's response to his brethren. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. I want to read that from the NASB version. I want to read verses 19 and 20. It said, But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to see the outcome of all that life brings to us. Somehow, Joseph was able to hold on to some things that gave him a better perspective. And I want to <clears throat> talk to you about that a little while tonight. I don't even know what to call this. Maybe don't get stuck in a minor key. I don't know what Maybe that's what I need to call it. 
play a minor key. That's a bad place to get stuck. Amen. But don't get stuck there. No, I really, I just want to talk to you about what I've learned about life. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I think you could probably read about Joseph's life every day and you could learn something new from him every time you read his story. He is without doubt one of the most prolific characters of the Old Testament. His story, his life, all that transpired, it is epic. It is a book within itself. And it is amazing to see all of the things that happened to a man who was called of God and had a calling on his life and a dream implanted in his spirit, what all he had to go through before that dream was fulfilled. I dare say that Joseph did not see the road that he was going to have to travel to see a a dream fulfilled, and yet he traveled that very difficult road. And it is so with life that life, turns every person upside down at some point. I don't know anybody that lives in this world that at some point in your life do not feel like that life has been turned inside out and upside down. You're not going to escape unscathed in life without having to go through some ups and downs And to have to live life in some minor keys at times. It's not what we want. It's certainly not what we would choose. But it's part of the package. I don't know. I've tried to remember. But Handel's Messiah. uh, Who wrote that? Beethoven? Mendelssohn? Whoever it was. I think there were 27 pages. 27 pages of score that was written for that great oration. And if you or I by chance were to have stumbled into his study and we would have picked out one page from that and we would have looked at the notes and we would have heard the sound, we would have said, this is nonsense. This is pathetic. And yet when you take all of those pages and you blend them together and all of the notes that perhaps by themselves would be discordant, they make one of the most beautiful and one of the most inspiring scores of music that's ever been written. Handel's Messiah has been used over and over and over again. What a thrilling thing. I mean, you cannot hear it without your heart pounding inside and you want to stand to your feet and praise the Messiah. But if you just took one sheet out of that and you listened to that by itself and that's all that you heard, you would probably say that this will never make history. This will never be worth remembering. But the truth is, it is beautiful. I started to bake everybody a cake tonight. I really wanted to do that. 
I thought some of you might need the nourishment. <clears throat> I, make a, I make a real mean pound cake. I brag a little bit on myself. They can bleep this out after a while, but I'm going to tell you. I, I, I love it. You, you, it's just a, a great pound cake, and it goes good with, with bluebell. It goes good with strawberries. It goes good by itself. You can eat it in the morning or at night or in the middle of the day, and it always tastes good. Amen. Anybody hungry for a piece of pound cake? But, you know, there's some things in that pound cake that if you took them by themselves and you had to just eat them by themselves, I mean, there's like three cups of flour. Just imagine trying to choke down three cups of flour. Worse than that, think about eating two whole sticks of butter just by themselves. You talk about sick. You'd be throwing your toenails up. I'm trying to think eggs. How about six eggs? Eight eggs? Half, I mean, it, that's almost the whole chicken right there. And you put them in raw. You don't cook them. You put them in raw, mix them up. And then three cups of sugar. I mean, I like sugar, but three cups of sugar would do me in, folks. You'd be having to scrape me off the, the ceiling. Those things by themselves, none of us would be interested in. But I, I guarantee you, that if I had a hot piece of that pound cake tonight, you would devour it while I'm preaching. You wouldn't even pay attention to me preaching. You'd be licking the crumbs up because it's that good. But it takes the mixing of all those things together to make it work. And sometimes in life we get hung up on the ingredients that God chooses to put together for our life. And we choke on them. And we go to seed on them because we don't, we don't like certain elements that God allows to be part of the fabric of our life. In our text, there are the two extremes of life that are mentioned here. Two words that are used that are diametrically opposed. Good and evil. And you've got to understand me tonight when I tell you that he was not talking about opposites like positive and negative, or fullness and emptiness, but he was talking about two spiritual forces that are constantly working on your life and my life, pulling on me, pushing on me, good and evil. And here in this text is the tragedy and the glory of life that we move between these two eternal contrasts, good and evil, and man's life plays out between those two, and one of them is going to weave the garment of his character. I cannot even begin to understand all that Joseph had to go through to get to the fulfillment of his dreams. And I'm not here by any means to gloss over evil or the tragedies that people go through. And I certainly do not by any means want to make light of anything that you have suffered personally 
Although I may mention some very personal things tonight, I'm not here to make light. But I am here to tell you that the very acts that were intended by one force to destroy you can be used by the other force to make you. That the very same facts, the word is used here in our text, meant, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Those are two opposite poles, and yet both of them are vying for my life. And whether or not they destroy me or make me is dependent on which one of those two things wins in my life, the good or the evil. I believe that if if there is anything that Joseph learned in his experience is that he learned that you will never go where God is not. I want that to sink in. You will never go in life where God is not. The psalmist said, if I take the wings of the morning and I ascend to the highest heavens, God is there. Or even if I make my bed in hell, God is there. What he is saying is, what Joseph learned is that there is no place that you will ever go where you will not find God already there. If you go to the IC room, God's there. If you go to the unemployment line, God's already there. If you go to court, God's already there. If you stand in the unemployment line, God's already there. If you have to go to the hospital, God's already there. If you have to see the doctor tomorrow, God is already there. There is no place that life can take you that God is not already there. No place. And Joseph learned that wherever he was, whether it was in in, in a cistern waiting to find his fate out, or if it was in the auction block or on the auction block wondering who was going to be the highest bidder, or whether it was in Potiphar's house or whether it was in the prison for two years, it didn't matter where he was, he found that God was there. And the reason I know God was there is because God blessed him. Everywhere he went, God blessed him. God prospered him. God helped him. So There is no place that you can go. Wherever you are right now, you just need to look around and realize God's here. Amen. Maybe where you were not expecting to be. Maybe you weren't planning on being where you are. Maybe you weren't planning on being in the mess that you're in right now. But God is there in that mess with you. Amen. Somebody ought to praise the Lord tonight for that. And a dream may define your destiny, but it doesn't show the way that you're going to have to go to get there. Life's difficulties can take a lot away from you. They took freedom, they took friends, they took fellowship, they took family. But there was one thing that life's troubles could not touch in Joseph's life, and that was his destiny. 
that calling, that divine purpose that God had for his life. And in every situation, when they hated him, when they took him, when they sold him, when they forgot him, when everything had been stripped away from him, what did he still have that they could not take? His destiny. Amen. His dream. The end purpose of his life. They could not take that from him. The scripture says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. The word meant that is used in both references comes from the same root word that means to weave. So in essence, what it is saying is that evil takes the threads of life and it tries to weave a garment that is filled with tragedy and sorrow, and hatred, and bitterness, and meanness, and hardness. And yet God can take the same threads and reweave them into a garment of praise and a life of blessings. Amen. We do not get to choose the threads that make up our lives, but we do get to choose Who weaves them? Good or evil? Am I going to let the devil destroy my life? Or am I going to let God make my life? Am I going to succumb to the weakness of my flesh and say there's nothing that I can do about it? There's nothing I can do to change it? Or do I allow God to take whatever it is that has happened and work it into the tapestry of my life and make the man or the woman that God designed me to be. I cannot choose the threads that make up my life, but I can choose who weaves those in my life. When we get God doing the weaving and God is the one that's doing the work, we can say with Paul, all things work together. I love that scripture. All things. Everybody say that with me. All things work together. Now I want you to notice what he did not say. He did not say each thing works. Because each thing can get, it can, it can stick in your crawl. That's what I was talking about a while ago. It's, it's the butter by itself. Or it's the flour by itself. Or it's the cocoa by itself. Or whatever other ingredient that might go in to that particular cake or pie. Whatever it is you're trying to make. When you isolate events in your life. And you look at life only in that perspective. And you see it only in that viewpoint. You are going to be in trouble because individual issues can sink you. But when you allow individual issues to become part of the whole issue, then they make us. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? The ultimate culmination of good in my life is determined if I allow all things to work together. Not each thing, but all things. Good happens when the ingredients work together. It is the collective cooperation of the elements that creates the good end. There is nothing in the Bible 
that would cause us to call famine good. There is nothing in the Bible that would cause us to call a heart attack good. There is nothing in the Bible that would cause us to call a terrorist attack good. Cancer is not good. There are a lot of terrible calamities that can happen to us. But when God mixes them all together, he can make them work for our good. Amen. You know, if you only put in the stuff you liked in a cake, you wouldn't have a very good cake. Because I've been shocked at stuff I've read that goes in some of these cakes. I mean, if it was left up to me, I don't even know where they came up with that. Balsamic vinaigrette. Why would you put that in anything you would want to eat? But anyway. Sour cream. Just a whole tub of sour cream. How many of you want to sit down and just eat a whole tub of sour cream? We wouldn't want to do it, but we know that when we put them all together, it makes for delicious, enticing food. I don't believe that Joseph triumphed like some people believe without struggle. I do not believe that Joseph's victory and his triumph over the elements of life was without its problems. I don't believe it was automatic. I do not believe that just because Joseph was called and had a dream and God had given him so much, I don't believe that that exempted him from having problems or exempted him from struggling. As a matter of fact, when I read his life and I look at between the lines, you don't have to read just exactly what's there, but read between the lines, you come to understand that obviously Joseph had his own set of struggles. Or else why would he name his child, he helps me forget. If it wasn't a problem for him, if forgetting wasn't a problem, then why would he name a son, he helps me forget. Evidently, Joseph had a lot of things that he was needing to get rid of in his mind. So his life was not without struggle. It was not a given that he was going to triumph as just like some people think, well, you know, Brother Hughes, there are some people that just can live for God and there's some that can't. And I'm one of them that can't. There's some people that are just positive and there's some people that are just negative. I'm one of those negative people. I'm here to tell you that is a bunch of hogwash. I don't know if you know what that is. But that's a a bunch of baloney. There are no givens in life. And there's nobody here that's better equipped to live for God than anybody else. There's none of us here that have our wings yet. And there's certainly none of us here that have our crown made yet. The outcome of Joseph's life, his prime ministry was not something that was the force of circumstances, but I believe it was the result of some things that Joseph chose to do on this journey to his dream. He could have become bitter. He could have become angry. He could have become mean and hard. He could have become vindictive. He could have let vengeance rule his life. 
and the outcome about his life would have been totally different. This, the outcome of his life came because of what I find in our text. And there are some things that I believe that I can learn from Joseph in my journey, in my dealing with the undesirable things, the part of the dream that God didn't share with us, the hidden part that God didn't tell us about. And I believe that some of the things that Joseph learned are things that I personally need to learn and apply in my own life. And the first thing that I believe that Joseph learned and and he spoke it to his brethren in verse number 17. He said, am I God? Am, Am I called to be your sovereign I think what Joseph learned is this. I refuse to play God. And by that I mean I'm not going to try to explain everything in my life. And I'm not going to try to understand everything in my life. And I am not going to try to manipulate it all to make it work the way I want it to work. I don't know why I have to go through some of the things I have to go through. I don't understand why some of you are having to go through the things that you're going through. But punishment is not my business. It is not my business to take vengeance. It is not my business to play God. I don't know enough to play God. I don't know enough to stand in judgment I don't know what I would have done if I had been in their place and they had been in mine. I don't know that I would have done any different than they did. And so Joseph made up his mind. You know what? In all of this stuff that's happening, I'm not playing God. I'm not going to try to to manipulate this and massage it and make it something that it's not. I'm not going to try to put a better spin on it. I'm not going to try to reword it. I'm just going to state it like it is. It's going to be told like it happened. I don't understand it, but I accept it, and I refuse to play God. When you try to play God in life, and you try to explain, and you feel like, well, I've got to give an explanation. I've got to tell somebody. You don't have to tell anybody anything. My Lord, am I talking to anybody here tonight? You don't have to explain. There's some things you can't explain. And you know what else? Even if God did explain it, you'd still be confused. And I'm not insulting your intelligence. I'm just telling you that sometimes the answer is more complicated than the problem. And God answering you doesn't mean that you're not going to have more questions. I think life is just filled with questions. There's a lot of things that because we are limited, we're finite, we don't have that vision of of the future and we don't know how it's all going to turn out. We pray and we try to follow God, but you cannot play God. You cannot try to be some sovereign and take it into your own hands and say, okay, buddy, you did it to me, now it's my time to do it to you. That's a dangerous place to try to live. It's a terrible and perilous position for any man to take up that he is the instrument of judgment for God and to do revenge or, or hatred or any of that. It is not your place to be God. Why don't you leave that in the hand of the Lord? Just go on and live your life and let God make sense of it. And if you will let God, he will make sense of your life when it's all said and done. 
And by the way, it's not all done yet. You're not made yet. You're still in the making. The second thing that I believe happened to Joseph is that from the very beginning, he put himself into the hands of God and he kept himself in the hands of God throughout the entire journey of his life. I believe that. I believe the only way that Joseph could have survived the craziness and the insanity of the things that happened to him was to have his life in the hands of God and leave it there. Amen. Put your your life into his hands and leave it alone. Take your hands off. You know what? We, we get in trouble when we try to help God with the process. You know what happened to Abraham and, and Sarah? Sarah come to Abraham and said, I, I don't know what's wrong, but I can't have children, so here's Hagar. Hagar conceives, and the next thing that happens is Sarah's jealous, and she wants to cast her out. And now there's an Ishmael, and there's another voice crying out, and there's another hand reaching up. When we try to help God, I don't care who you are. You're not wise enough to know how to work it all out. There's some things that are best just leave it in the hands of God. He took it, everything that happened to him, I believe he took it as if it came from God. He didn't take it as if it was coming from his brethren. He took it as it was coming from God, because God is where he had put his life. He had put his life in the hands of God. When you put your life in the hands of God, it takes the sting of a lot of things out of your life. A lot of things that the devil could use against your mind. When your hand is in his hand and your life is in God's hand, the devil can't use that against you because you're not in his hands. You're not in the hands of circumstances. You're not in the hands of events. You're not in the hands of a judge or a divorce court or whatever. You're in the hands of God. And God's hands are a safe place to be. And so evidently from the very beginning, Joseph put his life there And he kept himself in God's hands throughout the whole journey. Number three, this is so important. I believe Joseph refused to define himself by his tragedies. He refused to define himself by his circumstances. He was made a slave. He was a convict. He was a servant. But none of those defined who he was. He was a child of God. First and last. And so when you're a child of God, what happens to you doesn't matter. Amen. Because that's not what I am. A divorcee, bankrupt, disabled, scarred. That's not what you are. You are a child of God. Don't ever let your circumstances define for you who you are. Well, you're a failure. No, you're not. You just tried a lot of times and found out what doesn't work. Do you know Thomas Edison failed 1,100 times before he, I think 1,100 sometimes before he 
finally got it right on the light bulb. 1,100 and something times he failed. Somebody said something to him one time, and they were trying to chastise him and mock him for all of his failures. He said, no, sir, I didn't fail. I just found out 1,100 things that don't work. I'm not going through life letting people run me down because you failed here and you failed there. Or you, you, you just, you're just a mistake. You know, It's like you're an accident waiting to happen. No, I'm not. I may have had a lot of accidents in my life, but I am not an accident waiting to happen. And somebody, I've had people make fun of me. Well, you know, that's just the Hughes. They're going to cut a finger off. They're going to cut something. You just have to watch out. You know what, that, that, that could get in my craw and eat on me and make me mad. But you know what, it just goes over my head like air. I, it, I don't care. That's not who I am. I know that's not what I am. And there's a lot of other people say things about you and you let, oh, that hurts me so bad. Get above that. That's not what you are. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. You've got the hand of God on your life. You may have made a mistake, but you're not that mistake. Somebody said, well, I, I'm an alcoholic. No, 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 no. Don't, don't call yourself your problem. I'm a child of God, struggling. I want to overcome that, but that's not what I am. I'm a drug addict. I hate those titles because it makes people settle down for small destinies. And that's a small world. He didn't get trapped or lost in a moment. The wrong did to him did not stand alone in his mind. It was part of a larger picture. He didn't get trapped or stuck in short-term thinking either. Don't sell out life to the moment because the moment can change. Right now, the moment that you're in, it looks pretty bad. But don't sell out to the moment. And don't give in to short-term thinking. Paul said... I am pressed, but I'm not pinned. I'm knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. Amen. Anybody understand what I'm talking about tonight? Do not allow your circumstances, your tragedy, your, your situations to define who you are. And I believe that through all of the stuff that Joseph went through, whether it was in Potiphar's house or whether it was in the prison, or whether it was in the Pharaoh's king, or the the court. It didn't matter. Those places did not define who he was. He was defined by the calling and the destiny that was on his life. And before and above everything else, he was a child of God. Amen. The fourth thing that I believe that he learned, and we need to learn, is that when you're living in the moment... You do the best you can with the moment. Amen. Do you know that everywhere Joseph went, he prospered? Potiphar's house? What happened in Potiphar's house? He was bought as a slave. Next thing you know, he's running Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife said, nobody, nothing is kept from you. The kingdom, I mean, he's letting you have access to everything. Nobody has the influence that you have. How did he get that? He didn't get that sitting in a corner sucking his thumb saying, Nobody knows the troubles I've had. 
He didn't get it whining in his milk. Crying in his milk. Whatever. I'll get it right. Everywhere he went, he went to Potiphar's house. God blessed him. Why did God bless him? Because he applied himself. He tried to make the best he could with the situation he was in. He didn't sit around waiting for God to deliver him, waiting for that jet plane to come in and rescue him. Like some people, well, I'm just going to sit, I'm just going to wait on God. God said, you need to occupy till I come. Don't just wait on me, occupy. You need to keep busy. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, you need to stay, you need to keep your hand involved in the service of the Lord. And so wherever he was, if he was poverty's house, he did the best he could. God elevated him. He gets lied on and he gets treated rudely and he gets put into prison. And what happens in prison? He tells people their dreams. He becomes friends to those that were hopeless. He tells one man, you're going to get out. Another man, you're not getting out. And he said to the man that gets out, he said, when, when you get out, think of me. Remember me. Two years later, the man remembered him. But it didn't matter to Joseph. He kept doing good when he was there. What happens when he comes out now? He comes out and he's now in Pharaoh's court. God elevates him, puts him over. He becomes the prime minister of the land. Did he get that because he sat back and waited for God to do something in his life? Did he get that because he said, well, God, you know who I am and you know what you said. I'm waiting. He stayed busy and active Wherever he was, he made the best he could of every situation. You know what? There's a lot of things about life that I don't like. But I've learned a long time ago that if I learn how to make the best of it, it will make the best of me. Amen. He rose through the ranks, but not because he sat back and waited for God to promote him. He put his hand to whatever he could put his hand to. He was faithful. He was wise. He was devoted. He did what he could where he could. Amen. Praise God. There are some of you that are in the throes of a nightmare right now. I mean, you're going through a living hell right now. And it would be easy for you to sit down and say, well, God knows where I'm at. And if God wants to help me, he will. Or you could decide right where you are. You know what? I'm going to clean up hell. I'm going to do a little house cleaning on the doorsteps of hell. Amen. I'm going to make this a better place. I'm going to do what I can right here. I can't do much, but I'm going to do what I can. You can worship. You can pray. You can believe God. You can hold on to God. You can trust God. I'm going to close. The last thing, it's not really the last thing, but time is up. Joseph did not let what people did to him cause him to lose sight of what God was doing through him. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. 
If we're not careful in life, we can get so hung up with people that we miss the hand of God. Man wove, God rewove. If that's a word, is that a word, rewove? Good enough. Amen. I do like one preacher I used to preach for. He made words up. He was a lot smarter than I am, and he made up these 10-foot words. And there was one guy in his church that would sit out there, and he would write them down, and he would go to his dictionary when church is over, and he would come up to him and say, Brother, Brother Fuller, that is not a word. What was I saying? What was I preaching about? God can reweave whatever man has woven. Amen. He did not let what people did to him cause him to lose sight of what God was doing through him. God was making him. God was crafting him. God was cultivating in him a character and a man that could have the weight of a nation on his shoulder and not crater under that weight because God had prepared him for that moment. Amen. He gave himself wholly into the hands of God and he said, God, you are the one orchestrating my life. Amen. It would be a great liberating thing for some of us if we could get free from what people say about us. Amen. Do you know what, church? If I let everything everybody said about me get to me, I'd never step back in this pulpit again. Because as much as some of you love me, there's some folks, believe it or not, that don't always like me. I can't figure that out for the life of me. I remember, my Lord, we... We had one time, I mean, it was just one of those services where the Holy Ghost, I mean, heaven came down. It was like paradise. I didn't, I mean, everybody, I thought everybody, I thought everybody got touched. I walked off the pulpit and one of the, one precious lady met me at the back of the auditorium and she laid, laid into me. I mean, just, pow, 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 pow. And I was thinking all the time, I was thinking, where were you for the last two hours? You know what? I just listened to her. I smiled. I nodded my head. I let it go in one ear and out the other. And I went on rejoicing about what God had done. But you know what? If you're not careful, you can let that get down inside of you. And it starts eating on you. You think, you know what? You're not going to talk to me like that. You better respect me. I'm the pastor. I'm going I'm to tell you, you better not treat me like that. And the truth is, sometimes they are ignorant of themselves and what they're doing. I, I don't have time to waste on that. I don't have time to be bent out of shape about what people say about me. My Lord, if I worried, that's why I'm not on Facebook, by the way. If I worried about everything people put on Facebook, I'll tell you what, I'd be steaming every day because there's some idiots out there. I mean, slap-dab idiots. They don't have a BB in their head. I mean, not one. It's obvious by the things they put on their Facebook.
And I, that's part of the reason why I don't even get I don't. I don't want to see that. I know there's a lot of good that could come out of it, but the truth is there's a lot of folks get under your skin because of stuff that they've put out there. And they do it with that anonymity. You know, nobody sees you. You're behind the keyboard. Nobody can punch your lights out. Or nobody can lay hands on you and pray the devil out of you. So you say a lot of things when you're behind that monitor that you wouldn't say to somebody face to face. Am I not telling you the truth? But I am not staying awake tonight worried about what they say. Because they are not determining my destiny. God is. And as imperfect as I am, I know God called me. I know God called me here. Could there be a better pastor? Obviously. Could you get a better preacher? No question. Could there be better things done around here? Absolutely. But I know this much. God called me here. I'm going to do the best that I can every time I can. But I'm not wasting my life worried about whether somebody likes me or not. Damn. Now, now don't get me wrong. I do have feelings. Don't, don't go home tonight and decide to write me a nasty letter and say, well, it won't bother him anyway. <laughs> I had to pray a lot, folks. I have to pray a lot just to get past all of that stuff. But I made up my mind a long time ago. I'm not going to let circumstances determine my destiny. I'm not going to let what people say about me or my family. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in life that are so embarrassing that you just want to go hide. You just want to go stick your head in the sand and just hope nobody even notices you're there. You know what I've figured out? That's exactly what the devil would like for me to do. He wants me to come in all beat down. How you doing, brother? Oh, not good. What's going on? Oh, it's bad, it's bad. That's exactly what the devil's trying to weave. A garment of depression. A garment of fear. You know what I decided? I like what God weaves. He weaves a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Amen. He, he weaves robes of righteousness. White garments. Woo! White garments. Pure and white. Amen. And so, you know, people are people, and they do things and say things that just knock the socks off of you. But you know what you learn to do? You learn to find them and put them back on and go on. Amen. But don't let people determine your destiny. And if Joseph had not learned that, he would have lost out a long time ago. He would have lost when those brothers put him in that pit. And he heard their conversations of what they were going to do to him. That would have been the end of it. You talk about bitter, it would have been bitter to the end. You know, I, I hate to say this, but I, I had some family members in, in the past 
that had things in their spirit that happened years and years ago, and they were still bitter about it. There were family members that wouldn't even visit our home because of something that happened 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, wouldn't come and visit our family. And the truth is we weren't even the same people then that we were, they were back then. I mean, things changed, but they let a situation or a circumstance so gall them and so mess up their thinking that the rest of their life, I don't want to live like that. Amen. I don't want to be bitter. I, I have the option to be bitter. I don't want to be mad. I have that option. I don't want to go around with a chip on my shoulder waiting for somebody to knock it off. Because I've lived long enough to find out there's somebody out there that's going to knock it off. Amen. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the waters. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the seas. Oh, yes. Take a look at yourself. Amen. And you'll look at others differently. If you'll just put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. I don't even know where that song came from. Oh, that's an old one. Amen. Praise God. God helped me to learn a little bit about life. So much so that it could be said of me, they meant it for evil. God wove it for good. Amen. God took what happened and he rewove that garment into a garment of praise. Let's praise him together right now. Amen. Hallelujah. We love you tonight, God. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. 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 And changing hands. Oh, yes. Yes, and build your home. Let's praise him again, everybody. Let's praise him. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the promises of your word tonight, God. Bless, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. Let your will be done tonight in this place. Every life, Lord, every soul in this building. Let them feel the hand of God on their life right now. In Jesus' name. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've got to learn something about life. Amen.